0: Welcome back to another episode of the Forgotten Outdoors podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today is actually going to be kind of a cool episode. We are covering um, a, I don't know what you call it, a fan question? Yeah. Or a listener a question. A
1: listener question.
0: Yes. So um, we're going to kind of dive into it a little bit uh, from a couple different angles, but this was the main question. When stalking and tracking as a bow hunter, I know I need to get close enough to make an ethical shot. So how do you get within 40 yards? So, Ben, I guess, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, initial response to that question, I would say, is an ethical shot really depends on the work that you've done and what you're comfortable with. So. This person, obviously, you know, that's probably where they're comfortable is at 40 yards with a bow, but that totally depends on your experience and how much you're practicing and what you feel confident with. And I think that can be spoken for any kind of hunting, whether it's archery, whether it's with a rifle, with a spear. Yeah. yeah, If you're that (laughs) cool, you know, you need, you need to be practicing enough that you know your limitations and you know what you're confident in. I think that so much of of hunting and having success is making decisions with confidence, um, in a very intense situation, because it is when you're putting the stock on an animal uh, and it's go time, like your blood's going to be pumping, the adrenaline's yes. going to be rushing and you want to be 100% confident in your abilities. You don't want to be second guessing yourself in the moment. So if, if 40 yards is what you are comfortable with, with a bow, that's what you need to close the gap to. Uh, some people are, are comfortable at farther distances than that. You know, they're, they're comfortable at, at 50 or, or 60 yards uh, with a bow. Some people are less. If you're not comfortable at very far, you know, 10, 15 yards, maybe you shouldn't be archery hunting yet, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe you need to practice more so that you are, are confident in making a good kill and, and a clean kill. So I think that before we even get into how to get that close on an animal, um, I think that it, it's important to mention that know your limitations know what you are capable of doing and then build that confidence in in what what you can accomplish you know yeah. build that confidence say I, I can smoke an animal at 40 yards I can smoke an animal at 50 yards with a rifle I know that at, at 300 yards anything within inside that that animal is dead and so if I'm up in the hills and I have a shot, that animal's at 275 yards. I'm taking that shot, and I know that animal's going to hit the ground. I think that's the level of confidence you need to be before you even are, are in a situation to make that shot.
0: Yeah, so I think, uh, I guess just to kind of summarize that thought, would be um, as far as closing the gap to a certain distance, you need to find out what shot is ethical for you. Mm-hmm. So like um, me and Ben kind of talked about this before, Um, I'm brand new to archery hunting Ben has been doing it for a couple years now so for me I I was telling Ben I said I think I would for sure shoot anything at 30 40 yards if um, conditions were pretty good like very little wind or no wind Um, you know it's pretty straight shot the animal's not like going downhill or quartering away or whatever Um, and so for me I was like 40 yards would be my max and it would have to be good conditions and I'm hoping to improve that this year. Like, that's yeah. that's my main goal I, I, I set for myself with archery hunting is I want to be comfortable up to 50, uh, like 50 yards being my max, yeah. 40, 40 yards being like, yeah, I'm for sure taking that shot. So I think um, you just need to determine what is ethical. This, whoever this individual is that asked the question, they asked for 40 yards, um, but you need to find out if that's if that's an ethical shot for you.
1: Yeah, and and it's practice, guys. I, I don't know of many people who have just this God given gift where you know the first time they fling an arrow or, or shoot around around downrange they're you know they're hitting bullseye after bullseye at, at a sixty yard shot. You know it just takes practice. Yeah. You know if if you are only confident at thirty yards, you can increase that. You can. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta you just gotta fling arrows downrange, consistency. Um, and and yeah, you can you can widen your range of what you're going to be capable with and you'll have better odds. You will. It's Mm -hmm. a lot easier to get within 60 yards of an animal than it is to get 30 yards of an animal or 20 yards of an animal.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think just getting into the question a little bit farther. So like we said, first determine what your ethical shot is. Um, And then as far as getting close, obviously that just, that's going to differ from archery to rifle hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of like what Ben said, like, I feel like, I feel like for the most part, 300 yards seems to be the standard on, um, um, rifle hunting. Yeah. It seems like most people try to at least get to that point. I would say that 300 yard shot for a rifle would be similar to like a 30 or 40 yard shot with a bow. Like if you're hunting with a rifle, chances are you're confident to that level. Not saying you have to be by any means. I'm not saying that. Um, but I would say that that's kind of like the standard and that's going to be different getting within 300 yards than getting within 30 yards.
1: Yeah. And I think some of that, uh, now that we're teach, uh, speaking about rifles and the shots that are people take, I think that 300 yards is kind of a standard because mm-hmm. there's not going to be much. The ballistic change. There's not going to be a lot of bullet drop in most calibers at that range.
0: And not unless, Yeah, unless you're shooting a crazy heavy bullet.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a generalization. It's yes. not always the case. But I think a lot of popular hunting rounds, you're not going to see a whole lot of change in your bullet at 300 yards. There will be minimal change, of course, but not something that you really have to start compensating for. I mean, when, once you get past that, especially... I think, you know, a big benchmark in um, long range shooting is 500 yards. Once you hit that kind of mark, you have to really be paying attention to what your bullet's doing. You have to know what your bullet's doing and how to compensate or you're going to make bad shots.
0: And and chances are you've either set some kind of a marker on your scope or you have, um, you know, the turret system where you can just twist um, a certain amount of clicks to, to get to that kind of a range. Yeah. Um, so again, that comes down to just practice and getting familiar with your equipment to the point that you just sit down, you range it and you know, okay, I'm 500 yards. Here we go. Like I just need to twist it or I need to raise it this high or whatever it is, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it and it's ethical, then, you know, for us, that seems, that seems to be the main thing is just as long as you're comfortable with it, then, you know, that's kind of a personal thing with if it's ethical or not.
1: Yeah. And, and technical shooting, long range shooting is is a very technical thing. It, it's something that you need to put a lot of work in, and a lot of research, and a lot of time into. So if if what you your resources are is I'm going with my dad or my uncle, and I'm borrowing their rifle, uh, you know I I wouldn't recommend those long shots. Yeah. Um, because it's something that does take time, and it does take. You know, a lot of of technical skill to be able to accurately, time after time, make long range shots. Thomas was talking about some of the turrets, you know, those tactical turrets where you're adjusting your your mills inside your reticle um, to to compensate for for windage, for elevation, and there's a lot of different factors that we're not going to go into in this episode that that come into play when you're when you're flinging a bolt that that far. So just just things to keep in mind. I think with this episode. We're gonna go more into the archery hunting. For um, sure. yeah. I mean, it's not as difficult to to get within 300 yards of an animal. It's more, you know, knowing the areas that you're gonna be in, finding a good shooting lane, right? That kind of thing. When when it is rifle hunting, um, and and terrain plays a big part in that. You know, if you're in deep timber, you're not gonna get those kind of shots. But f- focusing more on archery, we're getting stuck yeah. up on 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 the rifle. Um, Side of this and that's not really what the question was asking I think a lot of it depends on the animal that you're going to be hunting terrain and the style that you're hunting I think early on in one of our episodes we talked about the different styles of hunting uh, The different tactics that people use to kind of close that distance on an animal Uh, So within the archery world just to rattle off a few off the top of my head One that we have here in idaho is elk hunting, you know, it's it's in the rut with a bow, which means it's their it's a breeding season. They are moving peak, around peak a lot. Yeah, yeah. They're they're pissed off. They're they're looking for a mate. Yes. <laughs> you know, that they're We're roaming multiple. Ar- yeah. They're they're <laughs> roaming around, they're very active, and you are trying to locate these animals. Um, a lot of those tactics is bugling, you know, calling to elk. That's I'm sure many hunters have either tried this or if you're getting into it, or at least aware. That elk are very vocal, usually vocal at this time of year, and you're trying to locate that. You're trying to get into areas where there's high traffic of elk. You're trying to figure out where they're at by by them being being vocal, and then you're trying to communicate with them and either get a sneak on them or you're trying to lure them in with your, your calls, with yeah. you being vocal yourself, pretending that you're an elk, another bull, challenging them or a cow, you know, in estrus that needs to be bred.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, some of the things that we talked about prior to starting the recording of this episode is we kind of talked about three major things um, that we felt play into closing the distance, especially with a bow um, and those being wind or scent for the animal, Mm -hmm. if they're going to smell you, the noise that you're making if you're closing the gap. And, uh, the third one was sight. So obviously if you're just like walking on a, you know, the top of a hill and your, your, uh, silhouette is visible to the animals, then that would be.
1: Yeah. Skylining. Yeah.
0: Skylining. That's the word I was looking for. Um, you know, that's going to cause some issues for you trying to close the gap. But, um, you know, with Ben talking about the elk, I think during their, their, uh, breeding season, during the peak of the rut, I think that those bulls especially are on high alert because they're kind of trying to establish a boundary that's like their territory. And so I think if they're hearing, you know, crunching leaves or whatever, then to them that's going to be, you know, it could be another bull out coming in to try to take over their herd. It could be, um, you know, a predator, uh, a predatorial animal coming in. Like you just don't know what it is. But I think during that, that peak rutting season, Seems to be when they're on high alert, trying to make sure that nobody messes with their their cows and nobody's threatening, you know, their herd.
1: Yeah, and, and being on high alert, it doesn't mean that they're going to be super skittish, right? I I think that that's one of the times of year that they'll probably be the least skittish, more aggressive. But yeah, but more aggressive. They're definitely going to be aware of what's kind of going around in their area. Um. So so yeah, you you brought up those three things, Tom. We talked about them earlier. With scent, sight, and um, and sound, yeah, um, those are the kind of three three indicators that you need to be wary of. That's going to f- flag you, you know, that an animal might catch on to and bust you, and then you're gonna ruin your opportunity. I think the most important one of these things to be wary of is scent. I think before mm. anything else, that's what's gonna bust an animal. Animal's gonna bust you by smelling you. I think that's one of their best sense, senses. Right. I think that if you are trying to archery hunt, you have to take in where the wind is if you're going to be successful. Yeah, because time I, after time.
0: And I think I think something that's interesting. Um. And recently, I watched an episode of The Meat Eater on Netflix. If you haven't watched those, you should check them out. Yeah. Um. But they were hunting a bear, and something that's just kind of a dead giveaway that they're smelling something funky is it seems like um, any animal, but you know, in this episode, particularly it was a bear. Um, they'll start kind of waving their nose up in the air, just kind of like in the wind, they're just trying to figure out what's coming. Um, what might be kind of funky or off in the, in the wind. Um, and so this episode that I was watching, this bear was like 600 plus yards away and still able to get a smell. And he took off, like he knew something was off, didn't like it. And the bear just busted out of there, and so I do think that the winding and the the scent that you're putting off is going to be the the hardest one to control when trying to get within the forty yard distance.
1: Yeah, and something that's probably overlooked more than anything, I think that as hunters we naturally think that we need to camouflage, camouflage, camouflage. We yeah. don't want to be out in the open. It's it's sight, you know. Animals are going to see us because that's as humans that's our primary you know, warning sign. That's our primary indicator. When we see danger, it's we're seeing danger. Right. You know, that that's one of our stronger senses. But that's the opposite with with most big game animals is their noses work in a completely different way than human noses and they can smell things incredibly. So, yeah, making sure that your wind is right and so we've been talking about elk hunting. You know, if, if you have a bugling bull in a certain area, make sure you know where your wind is and what it's doing before you try to put a stock on that animal. Or if you're sitting a wallow, you know, a big mud hole where you think an elk's going to come in, try to figure out where that bull is going to come into and and be sitting accordingly so that you are downwind of that wallow. You know, that that's it's going to ruin a hunt. It's ruined some of my hunts, yeah. you know, when, when the wind... Wasn't right. I didn't either. I either didn't take it into account, or the wind changes, and that happens sometimes, and it sucks. There's not much you can do about it. Yeah, when the wind swirls. Yeah, you get in those some of those draws, and the wind just kind of circles around, and I've been busted by elk that way. Um, so that's an important one with elk is is figuring out where the, your wind is, um, but also other animals as well. You know, we haven't really covered whitetail. Right. That, that's a very popular big game animal to hunt. Um, Back east, it's huge. We have whitetail here in Idaho. Um, you know, we have a couple of them hanging on the wall. We love whitetail hunting. I yeah. love sitting tree stands. Um, and so that's that's a little bit harder because you do have to take into account where the wind's going to be, where, where your deer are traveling on a, on a path, and what the wind typically does. Um, when you're whitetail hunting, you still are trying to take it into account that way. Um, but sometimes it's out of your hands. You are elevated, which does help. It does help with the sight aspect and, and moving. Um, it does it does help with you know the hearing. You know you're not on their level, um, but I think
0: that
1: it needs to be at least addressed. That when you're whitetail hunting out of a stand, there are some scent blockers and and some things that I think help. Right. Um, I I don't get crazy with it. I know that there's a million different products out there. Um, and people get really into it, but at least washing your, your hunting clothes in non-scented soap. Right. Um, they have some field sprays that just kind of deaden some of that scent. I, I've, I feel like personally it has helped um, make some of my hunts successful, um, just taking that little bit of edge off. Because, yeah, sometimes you're sitting in a clearing, in a tree stand, and that wind does just kind of that little swirl. It's not moving around much. And I've been busted quite a few times by whitetail doing that so I, I think that it does play into effect that way elk I don't know if it plays as much a role using some of those scent blockers as at that it does point white tail,
0: but at that point you're playing more with the wind than yeah. with the scent and and I think um, you know I think Ben bringing up whitetail hunting that's it brings up a, a whole new point but a good point of you know there's gonna be multiple ways to close that distance um, one of those being tree stands. You know, if you get up into a tree stand and you just are in a high traffic area, um, at that point, you're just kind of betting that the animals will be coming close to you coming within your 40 yard range. Um, and I think also Ben talking about the, the wallows and things for elk, you know, there's, there's opportunities for you to set up prior to the animals being there, um, that will get you within the 40 yards. And so I think much easier. Yeah. And I think that that's something to think about. Um, is if you're if you're trying to close the gap, sometimes the best way to do that is just to already be at the distance you're comfortable,
1: stationary, yeah,
0: and then just wait for the animal to come to you. Um, however, I imagine that the the individual asking the question was more wondering if I see an elk, how do I close the gap? And at that point, I think um, you being aware of your surroundings, aware of the wind. Um, you know, aware of if you've been sweating profusely, because, you know, if you're sweating, if you're putting off a lot of smell, then at that point, it becomes even more important for you to play the wind, play the wind and make sure that you're going to stay out of those, you know, out of the animal's nose. And so I think, um, you know, you just got, if if you're stalking the animal and you're trying to close the distance, it really comes down to wind. Um, Obviously trying to keep your, you know, keep from skylining, keep from being seen, Um, and then, you know, you hear sometimes people will take their boots off to, Mm -hmm. you know, be walking in socks to make their, their stock quieter. And so, um, I I guess that we can maybe get into that a little bit, getting into like more of like the tips and tricks to be quiet and tips and tricks to, um, you know, close that distance that way. But I would say that you kind of have two methods to close the gap. One is to be stationary waiting for the Mm -hmm. animal and the other to be, just very aware of the wind and how much, you know, be aware of the ground that you're walking on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that you're going to have a little bit better odds at closing to a closer distance when you are stationary. You know, obviously you're not moving. um, You're less likely to be flagged by an animal that way. It does take a little bit more homework to to be successful there. You need to know where to be set, set up. So that you are going to have those opportunities where animals are going right in front of you. So big one with elk, we've mentioned it, is wallows. You know, a big mud hole where during that rut season, bulls are going to want to get in there, flip mud around, get all nasty, dirty. It's a weird thing, but they, they just are attracted to it like crazy. So wallows are a big thing. Water holes are another big thing with a lot of different game animals. Um, and then, yeah, whitetail. Whitetail, it takes a lot of a lot of figuring out what game trails, the, yeah. the good bucks are moving on.
0: And I think, I think part of that comes from, uh, just doing homework preseason with trail cameras. Yeah. Um, and you know, in some places you're able to put out feeders for deer, um, in Idaho you can't, but in some places, you know, that might be a way to do it is you just kind of train the animals. Um, but, but yeah, I think that I, I, I think that it comes down to just doing your homework, making sure that you're in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I always recommend that approach of this, the, of the stationary, trying to be patient, and it's a patience game. You're gonna yeah. be you're gonna be very very bored <laughs> of sitting, you know, in a in a singular location trying to wait for an animal to come that might never come. Um, so it is a patience game, but also you know, f- for instance, you might be sitting a wallow and bulls might be screaming on another ridge and you try to call them in and they don't want anything to do with you, but they're still talking. You know, they're over there. It might be a good opportunity to try to put a stock on something. Yeah. So, so that, that approach, I'm definitely going to go after those bulls. I'm not just going to wait all night at a wallow that they might never come to Yeah. if I don't know they're hitting it very hard, but if they're talking somewhere, then yeah, let's, let's do the other approach. Let's try to get a stock. Let's figure out where we think that bulls located. Uh let's figure out what the wind's doing and what the terrain's doing as well. What kind of cover am I going to have? What kind of foliage or plants am I going to be walking through? How noisy is that going to be? Yeah. Has it rained recently? You know, is a lot of those weeds and little sticks that you're going to be walking on. Is it super dry? Am I going to be crunching on every single footstep? Is there a game trail that's a little bit more clear that I can walk down? Or is it? Is it drizzling outside, and I don't really need to worry about the sound as much, and I can take a more direct, more rapid approach towards that animal. So these are all things that take an effect. Um, and another thing that I don't want to forget, so I'm going to say it now, is with sight. It, it still needs to be taken into effect. I think it's one of the the least likely indicators to flag you, um, or, for, or at least an the last. Yeah, one the last of the last, because you have to be pretty close. But I think, I don't think they pick up sight as well as as we think that they might, but I think they pick up movement very well. So very gradual, very steady movement is less likely to flag an animal than quick jerky movements, even if we think that we're hiding behind a tree or something like that. Very gradual, especially I found that with whitetail. Man, yeah. you make any sort of a a, a quick head turn, and they've got you. Ooh, that brings up a story. You want to tell about your first time sitting at a bear stand with me, Tom? <laughs> Freaking bear. Yeah. So um, me and Ben, we were sitting,
0: uh, we were in two different tree stands um, over over a bear bait. And I and it was my first time sitting in a tree stand. I mean, the very first time.
1: And it's kind of spooky. It's a little spooky, especially yeah. with
0: hunting bears. I mean,
1: you We know, had some big bears coming in too. Yeah.
0: We had, we had set up some trail cameras. We knew bears were there. Um, and so this was my first bear hunt first tree stand. So like a couple first firsts for me for sure And um, ben had even told me he'd even warned me beforehand. He was like, okay when we get in there You know, you just kind of have to be slow. You have to be slow in your movements Try not to do anything that's super sudden But once you're there and you're <laughs> sitting there and it's dead quiet Um, every noise makes me like was making me like jerk I If I heard a squirrel i'd turn and look and Sure enough, I hear something coming up behind me and I'm trying to be good. I'm actually doing pretty good at sitting still for a while. And then it seems like it's pretty close. So I kind of, I did a quick head swivel to my left and right as I did that, all I could see was the, the bear running away from us. Yeah. And I, and it was totally my fault. And it was because I had made that sudden movement of just wanting to look uh, to see what was coming. And that's all it was. It was just curiosity. Um, and it And it ruined the opportunity.
1: Yeah. And it's it's just human nature. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, walking down the hall at school or something like that and somebody shouts your name, you flip around, you know, it's your natural. just hear a loud noise. Yeah. It's your natural human response, especially when you're, you're waiting and you're honing into all of your senses to try to kill an animal and you hear something automatically you're thinking animal. I right. need to prepare myself for what's about to happen, but I think the best thing is to not even look. <laughs> if, you're, if you're sitting a bait like that, or you're sitting a trail for whitetail, and just wait until they come in front of you. Yeah. Um. And if you do look, it's it's just painfully slow motion, slow, you know, turning around because that that is one of those indicators is that fast movement they pick up on, whereas the gradual movement. And we're wearing camouflage. You know, I I don't think that they they flack it as much. You know, I've had yeah. I've had animals kind of look right at me even when I wasn't in camouflage without moving and they just kind of keep going on. They don't they yeah. don't really they don't really mind it as much. You know, not every time, but as much.
0: Yeah, and I think I wanted to go back to, to kind of touch on um something that you brought up with the ground coverage. So we had an experience this past season. Um we were in unknown territory. And we kind of got on this game trail for a while. Then the game trail started getting really thick. <laughs> then it started getting nasty. I think we talked about this before, mm-hmm. but um, we ended up making a ton of noise. Yeah. And so, going back to like Ben's example of if you're sitting on a wallow, you hear elk bugling a ridge over and you start kind of hiking into them. Well, you don't want to go hiking into them and then make a bunch of noise and then blow them out. Mm-hmm. You know, it. Sometimes it might be the better approach to go back to camp, wait till the next day, wake up early, get in a good spot before, you know, the sun comes up. And then again, you're kind of stationary, but you're in the right area because the problem we had is when we went and we made all that noise, we were basically, we basically had ruined the hunting area for Mm -hmm. for at least the day, if not for the rest of the week, Um, just because we made so much noise that there's no way any animals were sticking around. Whereas if we had just maybe been like, "Mm, we don't really know the area, let's take a break. We maybe could have come back the next day or that night and maybe would have had some success there. And so as far as ground coverage goes, you know, if if you know you're going to be making a bunch of noise, it might be worth holding back to avoid uh, blowing out the entire area.
1: Yeah. Or if you know that you have to make some noise, do it tactfully, do it, do it with a purpose in mind, especially with elk, because it's a tactic bringing elk in to make a lot of noise, but you have to do it right. You have to sound like an elk. Yeah, You know, you have to be bugle, and you have to make those sounds of a bull rutting around and scraping breaking, on trees, breaking branches and raking the brush. Um, so that's a tactic that I've used when I'm like, yeah, I just kind of made a lot of noise, but let's not make it sound like human hiking noise. Let's make yeah. it sound like a bull thrashing around and hopefully... We deceive them. I don't know if it works every time, but yeah. you know it's a, it's an arrow in your quiver to, to to try to further deceive the animal to to close that distance on them. Yeah, just trying to get in the mind of mind of an elk. But yeah, a lot of things to consider when you're trying to close that gap. I think the easiest one is to be stationary and then be waiting for yeah, them. Yeah, and then when you when you are trying to get a stock on something, yeah. I think first and foremost is the scent. Where's your wind? Where's yep. your wind? What's your wind doing? What's the terrain doing? How much noise am I going to make getting to a certain area? And then the sight. You know where? What kind of movements am I going to do? Do I have cover behind brush or trees? Do if I need I, to get on
0: my hands and knees and crawl?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because because you you did that last. I did that year. with my elk. Yeah, yeah. Where you had some some terrain behind some sagebrush and kind of some hills where you like belly crawled it for like an hour to get a stalk on an elk.
0: And it was because the sagebrush wasn't real tall. Mm -hmm. And if I had stood up, then it would have been, you know, skylined. I would have been totally Mm skylined. And so, yeah, I, (laughs) that was a crazy stalk, but I mean, it made, it turned into a successful hunt, but it required very slow. I mean, kind of painfully slow and yeah, I was army crawling for half the distance at least. Yeah. And then I got to a point where I was behind some rocks and yeah.
1: So, I mean, I mean, how long do you think that you put that stock on from when you're like, there's an elk to pulling the trigger and killing that bull?
0: Yeah, I think, so I think on that one and I, I might have to reference my boy Sam cause he was with me, but we saw it midday. So probably 11 or 12 and I bet I was pulling the trigger about four. Yeah, so four or five hours on a stock of I think it was about a thousand yards. So I mean we weren't close Mm -hmm. but a thousand yards and I was just trying I I was hunting with a rifle so I was really just trying to get within at least 200 300 yards, but the train was pretty, you know bumpy and It got to a point where I had lost sight of the elk and so then that caused a new kind of new dilemma Yeah, where I didn't want to just pop up And so I was very very slow and then I eventually closed the gap to almost seventy yards, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it was just slow and patient, and that's yeah. all it was.
1: Yeah, stupid slow. Yeah, yeah. Some stocks, especially if you're trying to like put a stock on something with a bow, it can take hours, hours well, well, to the, cover like a hundred yards, two hundred yeah. yards.
0: Because the other thing with elk during their rut is they're usually in a big old herd. Yeah. And so you have a lot of eyes to be worried about. You have a lot of noses to be worried about. <laughs> a lot of ears. Yeah. And so um, for me, that was that was a new experience for me seeing that many elk. And then when I actually popped up over the edge um, of this little rock formation, when I popped up, one of the cow elk saw me. And it's kind of like what Ben said, that sudden movement, my head came up. And then her head popped up and she stood up. and at that point, I knew I was busted from her. And so I just had to get up, get in a shooting position, calm myself down, mm-hmm. find the ball I was looking for, and then and then pull the trigger in it. and it ended up being successful. But you know, had I not been ready to take that shot quick, um, they probably would have busted me and been hauling out of there. So
1: yeah, takes hours of this, you know, preparation and crawling for like, a split second, yeah. where you can't screw it up, and even before that, it takes like weeks. How many, how many times do we drive out there, oh, and man. hours and days did you spend looking for them? It all comes down to to one moment one of making moment. a good shot and making a quick shot.
0: Well, yeah, and that's a. I would say that's the other thing to, I guess, consider is if you're closing the distance, you better make sure that you're able to get your heart rate down, mm-hmm. get your, you know, get your nerves under control. To hold steady with that bow because that's something that's been new to me is um, You know, if we go out and we practice shooting for a long time, I get to a point where um, I start to get a little bit tired And so I get shaky and I feel like that can only be 10 times, you know 10 times worse when you're you've got a ton of adrenaline pumping through you and you're all excited I imagine that shaking gets worse. And so I think that would be the other thing to think about when when you do close the distance, is uh, you know taking the time to take a couple deep breaths, get set up on a good shot before letting go of an arrow.
1: Yeah, and and sometimes it works out where you have the time, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and, and if you are completely shaky and and freaking out, then don't take the shot if you're not yeah. confident in it. But I mean, some people practice with that. You know, they'll they'll do some sprints, yeah. or some push ups. Or, you know, they'll, they'll do some kind of physical exertion where they're getting that heart rate up, they're breathing hard, and then they, they shoot their bow um, to kind of practice those scenarios. I've done that. and Or you shoot in different kind of kneeling positions, sitting positions, just trying to replicate what you would actually be experiencing when the shot counts the most. So just kind of comes down to that confidence and what you're confident in doing, practicing. Um, I think we're kind of coming to the end of this episode, but... Just kind of wrapping it up for, <laughs> again, is trying to close on that animal. If you're going to be stationary, you're probably going to have a little bit better luck at getting close on some animals. It takes a little bit more homework. Um, if you're going to try to put a stock, make sure that you're considering the, the smell, the sound, and the sight um, that you're going to be giving off so that that animal doesn't wind you
0: yeah and i i I guess just one more plug for an ethical shot. I think you know a thirty yard shot might be ethical today, but if tomorrow you put a big long stock on an animal and you're shaky, it might not be ethical tomorrow so yeah um you know the ethical shot is a day by day, and it just depends on how how much time you put into to practice and how much um comfort you have with your equipment
1: yeah. And I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Forgotten Outdoors podcast. As always, uh, subscribe, like our Instagram, our Facebook page, get on our website. Uh, give us a follow that way, guys. We, we enjoy doing this. Uh, this episode came from a question from one of our listeners. We really appreciate it. Hopefully this helped out. Um, and if you guys have any questions, definitely hit us up. We'll try to get it on our episode or at least address it uh, directly or through social media. And as always, stay safe out there, guys, and take it easy.
0: Okay, we'll see you.